Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante. He is Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, happy May to you. Yeah, we are ushering in a new month and it feels crazy. I'm in the middle of this uh, paternity leave and a month of it has gone by in the absolute blink of an eye. So I'm going to try to cherish this next one as we roll into May here. So this paternity leave thing, do you actually take some responsibility or is it uh, just a two-month vacation? It is a 50-50 partnership and I'm not even just saying that. I just wonder if your wife would say the same thing. Just, oh, I, just I'll ask, ask her now, like now with, within that, it doesn't mean that like, so 50, 50 in terms of tasks. Right. But I'm home all the time and the annoyance factor goes through the roof with that. So I don't know where that factors into things. If we're going to talk about dusty and annoyance, it's probably best. We just move on because that's a full hour. That's long a whole show. show that's it, a whole so. show. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move no on need. to Penn State football. <laughs> Dustin, another commitment, another running back, and another Wisconsin player. What is going on in Wisconsin? Isn't it interesting how, how that's working now? And uh, I, I don't really know the full explanation for uh, the progress there, but this is what, commit number three from Wisconsin in about 10 days or so, right? Donovan Harbor and the other offensive tackle. Um, and, and now Corey Smith, who's a four-star um, in the 24 class, he, he looks like a nice player, Jim. Yeah, I, I, I got a chance just to watch some of his footage. And the the name that really jumped out to me was Katron Allen in the sense of, you know, it might not have been a lot of flash inside. It wasn't, uh, you know, him being an interior runner, which that he looks like it's a, it's a pretty good strength of his. Uh, wasn't about size or power. It was just about finding all those nooks and crannies. And I think that's something that Katron Allen does really well. And it looks like it's something that Corey Smith does really well too. So that should be complimentary. You know, he's going to come in next year uh, and be with this current group, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. And he's going to be part of the 1A, 1B, 1C package going forward with all these other running backs. And I think it's a nice complimentary strength that he's got um, and it looked like he was pretty natural catching the ball out of the backfield, too. So I think he's a really, really nice player, a really nice addition. Um, the third running back uh, in about three weeks in the 24 and 25 classes to commit. So it looks like, you know, we'll talk offensive line sometime soon, too. There's been a run on positions there. I think there's a reason that you get hot at certain positions at a certain time, because if you're a running back and you're interested in Penn State, that ship's going to sail pretty early. So that the the it really snowballed and and ended up a, a good thing for Penn State and I don't think there's any reason to believe that Corey Smith or any of these other guys will decommit or anything. It happens obviously, but uh looks like a, a pretty good haul at running back. I don't know if we'll see any more running backs for the foreseeable future. This this depth chart uh looks like it's in pretty good hands for the next 3-4 years. I would think we will, and, and as you alluded to, we'll hit these positional groups perhaps even next week, Dusty. But I'm also curious about this whole Wisconsin thing. Of course, the Badgers have a new coach with Luke Fickle there. And whenever you get a new coach in, there's a bit of the transition. And I did a little bit of reading from the Wisconsin standpoint. 
And by the way, they didn't really want these guys anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and and they just happened to be three of the top four ranked players in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, there could be some truth. Maybe it's the players weren't that interested in going to Madison. You know, that's fine. But it's still a coup for Penn State to make their way into Wisconsin and pull three of the top four players. Not not just three out of the top four, but at offensive line and running back, two positions that Wisconsin typically excels at. So kudos to the Penn State recruiting arm. It's a great job. Uh, I just we never really got a chance to talk about Donovan Harbor and, and my thoughts exactly as far as going into Wisconsin and who knows what Luke Fickle is going to do in terms of putting his stamp on things but I think in, in general he's going to want to do the same kind of things that made Wisconsin Wisconsin all these years I think he's going to want to continue that the physical play and the, and the run game but Donovan Harbor have you seen broader shoulders in your life like that kid just looks the part and I know like um Caden Wallace has always looked the part and you could, you know, depends when you ask in terms of like whether Caden Wallace has been as good as or better than, or maybe not lived up to uh, the potential that maybe you saw for him back then, but he is truly and naturally massive. And, you know, if Wisconsin's going to say, Hey, we didn't want Donovan Harbor. I am absolutely going to call BS on that. Maybe it's maybe Corey Smith. Isn't your taste in running back. Maybe you're looking for a big, you know, steamroller type and that's fine. But there is no way on God's green earth that they did not want Donovan Harbor. What I'm, you know, taking a look at this from the Penn State angle, Phil Troutwine, when he came in, um, highly regarded, and it maybe took a year or two to happen for him. But it's like he's on the same track as Jawan Sider at running back. He's got yeah. momentum now. He's getting the guys he wants, and as you said. We're going to talk about that. Perhaps even next week we'll hit both the running back and the offensive line. But, uh, Dustin, I want to shift gears a little bit because this week it's it's NFL draft time, and we got to talk about it. Um, from the Penn State perspective, first of all, full disclosure, I'm an Eagles fan. Incredible draft for the Eagles. I yeah. know the Steelers did pretty well also for our fans from the other half of the state. But let's talk about it. From the Penn State perspective, it was a good draft for them. And let's start. I mentioned the Steelers part of what made it a good draft for them. Joey Porter Jr. And they were able to get him in the second round. Good for Joey Porter going to Pittsburgh. Good for the Steelers being able to get what everyone thought was a middle first round guy at the start of the second round. Yeah. You know, uh, Cornerback is a weird position sometimes because there there is a a lot of that beauty being in the eye of the beholder kind of thing. You know, nobody had Devin Witherspoon from Illinois going fifth overall to Seattle. I think a lot of people labeled that one a reach, but, you know, they're looking for a specific type and he was that type, but Joey Porter Jr. wasn't that type. So really kind of comes down to how, how they're viewing it. You know, a couple other cornerbacks went off the board as well. I think three or four more in, in the first round, three more in the first round for a total of four. You know, Joey Porter Jr. was really, really good value for the Steelers at 32. And, you know, it was just a little icing on the cake that there was a whole overnight, like everybody got to sleep on that potential storyline leading up to day two of the draft where you're seeing Joey Porter Jr. there. You know what Joey Porter meant to that franchise, his dad. 
Uh, so it was just so natural. And the same thing happened last year, late in the first round with Kenny Pickett coming right out of their backyard at Pitt and being a pretty decent value where they picked. And it was like the mid twenties in the first round, really good value with Joey Porter jr. And they get that storyline. They get that family storyline there. The, the pictures of, of Joey Porter jr. With his dad uh, in a Steelers uniform, you get all that too. And you get a really good player there. Um, I can't think of a better landing spot. Um, he, you know, to, to have to endure the first round and, and not go and not hear your name called. I think it was well worth it in the end for Joey Porter Jr. to have such strong ties to the franchise there. Went to North Allegheny High School. I mean, this is a really natural fit. I think Joey Porter Jr. could be plug and play in just about anybody's system, but I think he's going to work well uh, in Pittsburgh. I think they've been, they've been trying, you're always trying to reload at the cornerback spot. But I think they had some veterans there I, it, to get some some new blood there. And wasn't even their first pick of the draft. Uh, they got an a offensive tackle from Georgia in the first round. That was a nice thing. I think a good, a good situation for both sides there. I would expect Joey Porter Jr. to make a pretty early impact in Pittsburgh. I would imagine so as, you know, a member of the Joey Porter Jr. fan club here. And it's always it's a nice story when you have the local connection, like you said about Kenny Pickett. You know, when you're drafting, that's not supposed to influence your decision, but it sure makes a nice story. So when you have that local connection, and by the way, j- just as an aside, is Athens, Georgia, like a suburb of Philadelphia? Uh, I mean, it feels that way. Just H- Howie Roseman just picking and pulling for the last two draft classes. So much talent from Georgia there. And then they went out and made a trade for DeAndre Swift. <laughs> Uh, who is from Philadelphia, but also attended the University of Georgia. So I, I know this is not a Philadelphia Eagles show, but I'm just still smiling about that draft that the Eagles had, uh, Dusty. So, and we're going to get rich got richer. Got, <laughs> yes, yes, they did. But um, and you mentioned the cornerbacks and how they go, and it's what flavor do you like? And Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, who a lot of people thought was a top 10 guy, dropped to what, like 17th or so also, which, you know, you, you're pointing that out at cornerback. I'm going to say it's at, it seemed in this draft more than ever, the draft gurus either got it wrong or there is a case where different tastes for different folks, um, not a coming out of Penn State right now, but coming out of Kentucky with the Penn State background was Will Levis. And I feel bad for any of these kids who have to sit in that green room through the entire first night. That's, yeah. you, and and the cameras, you know, always go back to them. You know, when's he going to get picked? I feel bad for them. But have you ever seen somebody that was so much momentum did you see the betting odds right before the draft yeah. changed? He became one of the early, uh, one of the favorites to go first, yeah, possibly second in the top yeah. ten, and he didn't go in the first round. Uh, what did you see there? What do you think precipitated that drop, or was it just those draft nicks just all got it wrong? 
I think there are people purposely putting that smoke out there for some reason or another. And I think, you know, Vegas wanted that action on Will Levis too. And you can, you can never discount how that factors into what, where the money, money line moves, but you're absolutely right. It made the, the drop all the more jarring whenever you were anticipating that maybe he was in the run, running for the number one spot. But you know, when you look back at it, I don't think that was ever really a consideration. You look at Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, much, much more polished, throwers than Will Levis. And then you look at Anthony Richardson going fourth to Indianapolis. I think he has a, a much higher ceiling than Will Levis does in terms of being a thrower as well. Like obviously Will Levis is a great athlete, big arm, and there's a lot to love there. But I think the other three guys were just better prospects. And then nobody else was really engaged in the quarterback pursuit later in, in the in the round there. I like the landing spot at Tennessee. Not only did they need a quarterback to compete for a starting job right away, I think they started installing and and looking at some of that run first type stuff last year based on their draft pick then. So it should be a good spot for Will. It, I think it is. And I think he will sit the first year with Ryan Tannehill, but it'll be interesting and a good spot for him. We're going to get to the rest of the Penn State uh, players that made it to the NFL draft in quarter number two. Stick around. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He's Dustin. I'm Jim. We are talking NFL Draft and the Penn State guys who made it into the NFL Draft. And Dustin, in quarter number one, we were talking about how Joey Porter didn't go where we expected him to go. You were mentioning the cornerback position. Sometimes it's a matter of taste. But I get the feeling this entire draft was about, gee, here's the taste for this one team versus the other because nothing followed what the experts told us. And the Penn State players fit that to a T. So if we go second round, we had Joey Porter, who we expected to go in the first round. 
Then we had two other Penn Staters taken in the second round that you would have never thought. Brenton Strange went to number 61 overall uh, to Jacksonville in the second round. And then next up was Juice Scruggs, the center, going in the second round to the Houston Texans. Who had that on their scorecard, Dusty? Man, I mean, the the Strange one uh, was more, there was more foresho- foreshadowing to Brenton Strange. Maybe not. I, I wasn't expecting this high, but there was a little bit of movement there. I think it was Todd McShay kind of pointed out that there were going to be some, some scouting departments that liked Brenton Strange a lot and that he would move up draft boards. And lo and behold, he ends up going to Jacksonville, you know, late in the second round, the 61st overall pick. You know, what Jacksonville is getting is a pretty good athlete, a pretty good blocker, pretty good receiver, guy who who can battle uh, when the ball is in the air, can kind of high point it and out physical. You know, we saw all the good things that Brenton Strange has done. There wasn't all always a lot of, um, you know, flash to it. There was it wasn't fancy. It was pretty blue collar, but you know he was a a tight end through and through. And I think there's definitely some potential for him to be a really solid guy um, at the next level. I would never really expect you know all pro or anything like that, but I think he can really play for a long time in the league because of his mindset, uh, because he's a really good athlete, and because he takes pride in both facets of of that job. So Brent Strange was a solid pick by Jacksonville. A bit of a reach there. Um, Juice Scruggs was really out of nowhere. Um, Houston must have loved him or maybe prioritized the position too much, but nobody saw Juice Scruggs going 62nd overall uh, to Houston there. Um, the Texans, you know, like I think they've made some head scratching choices in the past. Bill O'Brien was fired because he was uh, not real great at assembling a roster and had that power there. I don't know if, if, if Juice Scruggs really makes a lot of sense at, at that spot, but you know, I, I, I like him as a center. I think he's a pretty physical dude. He's pretty powerful. Uh, I think he's got leadership qualities to him. I think he's a pretty, he's an okay athlete. Like I think he's NFL average as far as that goes. Um, the injury stuff probably might've concerned some other teams more than it concerned Houston. But you know, the fact of the matter is I think with both of these guys going in the second round, you got Joey Porter jr. Also going in the second round was a first round talent. You know, you look at the body of work here and I know we're talking kind of pick by pick, but this was Penn State's more impressive, one of Penn State's more impressive development jobs to get these guys, you know, high picks in the NFL draft. You know, they've had some can't miss guys before, but, you know, I don't think Joey Porter Jr. was was can't miss. You know, there were questions like, is, is he, you know, is he able to play cornerback at a high level with how long he was? Brenton Strange was a pretty good prospect out of West Virginia. Um, and Juice Scruggs was a pretty good prospect out of out of Pennsylvania who went through the car crash and all that. So I think for Penn State to get three guys in the second round in this draft was a pretty good um, tip of the cap to how they developed guys who were a little bit more ordinary. They weren't Saquon. They weren't Mike Kosicki. They weren't guys like that. They weren't Micah Parsons. These were really good developmental stories that I think um, you know made this a, a good draft for Penn State. Not necessarily in the high-end department or the headline department, but in terms of, of getting the most out of these guys before they left. And we're going to talk about this more when we get to Sean Clifford, how these guys impress people during their interviews, their knowledge, their showing that they're a quality person, which is part of the equation when you draft a guy. And 
you're right about Bretton Strange. He started to get some more talk. And but those of us who watched him through every game, and those of us who will watch the tape, and when there's a big play, hit that uh, button to pause, and you see who's making that big block. It seemed as often as not, it was Brenton Strange. <laughs> so that is part of the equation that gets missed when you know you'd rather see a tight end doing the sexier things, making catches and. Uh, getting downfield, still a surprise second round. Juice Scruggs, the interesting thing with him is there was some more talk about him, that, I, but positionally, centers don't go in the first round or second round. It's just one of those positions. And we didn't think of Juice Scruggs as being at the top of that position. Maybe he'd go sixth or seventh round or even undrafted free agent. Well, he must have done very well in his workouts for individual teams or so on to make it all the way up to the second round. And the thing about him also watching the games, you didn't hear his name very often, which, by the way, is a really good thing if you're an offensive lineman and you never hear their name. That means they're probably doing their job, and that was the case for him. Um, Next up, is Jair Brown, who went in the third round to San Francisco. I kind of like it when players go to good teams, as the 49ers are. You know I've always been a big Jair Brown guy. I don't think he didn't – he's not the fastest guy in the world, so he's not the most athletic. But again, I think he's one of those guys, if you watch him every week, you fall in love with him. Yeah, and and I think the stat sheet backs that up, but I think the film really backs that up. And I think, you know, hearing from him and talking to him, um, you know, he plays every play like his life depends on it. And I think he's got some really good feel for that safety spot. Um, He's one of those kind of classic examples of, you know, doesn't matter what the straight line speed is because he's so instinctive that he's going to get there anyway. And I think there, there's hope for that, that he can do that. I think there's, you know, that those athleticism numbers, the combine testing and stuff like that uh, really illustrated the difference in prospect between Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown. Like Jaquan Brisker was, was much more, um, you know, acceptable athletically than, than Jair Brown was. But in terms of what they did on film, I think their body of work is comparable, you know, different players, different strengths, but uh, he's going to fit in there really nicely in San Francisco. And that it's such a, it's such a good pick for them because they're so close everywhere on their roster to get a really polished guy. Who's going to bring a lot of intangibles who has a chance to, to ball Hawk um, for, for them. And, you know, if you, if, if you are using him on special teams and as a reserve on defense, he's going to take a lot of pride in that right away too. There's, there's just a lot to like about Jair Brown and, um, you know, the, the athletic numbers, if he tested as well as Jaquan Brisker did, I think he's probably in the running for, uh, you know, high second round, maybe in that first round mix, but really good player. And again, just as I said before with these other guys, I mean, a really good developmental story for for Penn State to get him from the junior college ranks, two safeties in a row, getting from the JUCO ranks at Lackawanna and turning them into high picks and probably, you know, 10-year players in the NFL if they stay healthy. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly the case. All right. We got to talk about this. Sean Clifford, and this this is just going to keep raising the debate here, Dusty. 
he's not even going to get drafted. Maybe he'll go the sixth or seventh round. He didn't get invited to the combine. But apparently he absolutely blew Green Bay away with his visit. And that was enough for him to become a fifth-round pick for Green Bay, which, by the way, is not very deep at quarterback. He's got a chance to stick. Yeah, and it's it's just... It's crazy to me uh, a little bit. I I did I wasn't expecting that. Wasn't expecting Sean Clifford to get drafted. Uh, I saw that uh, you know their their coach um, ta- talked about some of the things that they saw in him and uh, saw intelligence, and I think that's what came through in in that visit. Uh, saw you know some some athleticism there. It called him a natural thrower. I don't know. I mean, if you're getting the Rose Bowl version of Sean Clifford, you know, maybe you give that kid a chance, but I think Penn state fans got so weary of seeing the overthrows and, and, you know, all, all that stuff that came with, with the Sean Clifford package, but maybe just keeps improving and, and who knows where, where that takes him. I think there've been worse quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, there've certainly been a lot of better ones too, but uh, Sean Clifford, like I, I think the addition there. Uh, I, I know Green Bay fans, it seems like they weren't real thrilled about using a fifth rounder uh, on any quarterback, let alone Sean Clifford. But I think he brings a lot to a team, you know, and James Franklin would, re, would would back that up. Brings a lot in terms of effort and leadership and and being gritty and working like crazy. You know, effort was never, ever, ever a problem for him playing through injuries, all that stuff. Um, I wouldn't expect him to contend for a starting job. They do have Jordan Love. They traded, obviously, Aaron Rodgers to, to New York. But Sean Clifford does bring some things to the table. Uh, I think Penn State fans just a little bit uh, you know, skeptical about whether he could be a good pro or not. Two points to make here. One, this is probably the first time we've ever, ever, ever had Sean Clifford and Aaron Rodgers in the same conversation. <laughs> and the second thing, and and I hate this, but you know there are going to there's an element of the Penn State fan base who are going to be rooting for Will Levis and rooting against Sean Clifford just so they could say, I told you so. I think Sean Clifford's the type of guy, as a Penn State fan, I am rooting so hard for him to get some kind of NFL career. Even yeah. if it's a backup, um, that's what I'm rooting for, Dusty. Yeah, and when when you saw like the video of him hearing his name called and kind of breaking down, I mean, th- you should be pulling for this kid. Like he gave everything; he absolutely gave everything uh, to Penn State. He took a lot of crap from a lot of people, including people like us, talking about and being skeptical about what he can or can't do. Uh, you hope for the best for him. You can be skeptical if you want. Uh, but maybe he goes out there and proves everybody wrong again. He's got the opportunity now, which is all he really wanted. Yep, and and good for him, and he's in a place where he will have the opportunity to win the backup job, so good for him. Uh, Dusty, I still want to hit Parker Washington and some of the undrafted free agents. We'll do that at the start of quarter number three. Before we hit what's become a national story, this whole Deion Sanders Colorado, the transfer portal. You knew he was going to bring a whole bunch of guys in. You knew there were going to be a whole bunch of guys that he was going to show the door. But I don't know if any of us, any of us expected what we're seeing there. And I want to ask you about it. I want to get your take. We'll be doing that in quarter three. Stay tuned. 
Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm Jim Galante. We are wrapping up our coverage of the Penn State players in the NFL Draft. We had one more player drafted that we didn't get to, and I really want to because he's another one of my favorite guys, and that's Parker Washington. And I know you liked him since you saw his high school tape, and I really try to avoid saying this, Dusty, but he's the one guy I thought would have benefited from another year at Penn State, especially considering that late injury. Yeah, I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's not our life to live. And he, he made his choice. And I know he, he addressed kind of the gamble of it uh, before the draft and knew it was a gamble either way in his mind, whether he came back, you risk injury again, uh, or, or you leave before you had the opportunity to really package yourself in the best way possible for NFL teams. Parker Washington did not package himself in the best way possible for NFL teams, but you know, when, when he flashed Jim over these three years, he really flashed. And I think, um, you know, health was never really a big issue for him. Uh, I, I think there were multiple seasons when he was at Penn state, when, uh, he deserved or should have gotten more opportunities, more targets, uh, to, to, you know, make his mark. But, you know, he really profiles to me as a really good slot receiver in the NFL. Uh, he ends up in Jacksonville, just like Brenton strange does. And I think, there's an opportunity for him to really make a mark and, and play a niche role. I don't think he's a perimeter guy, but athletically speed wise balance, um, re- you know, just the, the, the routes that he's running, you know, the ability to make an, an acrobatic catch. I mean, he brings a lot to the table that I think will translate just fine to the NFL. So if the injury issue doesn't linger, I think Jacksonville really got a baller here in the sixth round. I know there are bargains up and down, but uh, if you're looking for a slot wide receiver 
they got one at a at a deep deep discount, I think, because athletically, he's right there with a lot of slot wideouts in the current NFL. Uh, you see them come in different types and packages and sizes now than than you did because that position's be, become so robust in today's NFL. But he is uh, really good there, and he's always been built like a running back, which I think is a requirement if you're five foot eleven. So I like Parker Washington's odds of really beating uh, the the value, the 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 price tag that. Jacksonville spent on acquiring him. I, I think he's going to be a, a good player for a while. Uh, again, if he stays healthy for six round draft pick. Yes. Very good for Jacksonville. Um, just real quick, Mitchell Tinsley uh, to the Washington football team, PJ Mustafer to the Broncos, Jonathan Sutherland to the Seahawks, Crystal, the long snapper also to the Seahawks. Any thoughts on any of those guys? Anything stand out to you? I I, I wish we would have seen PJ Mustafer get his name called. I mean, everybody around State College knows exactly what type of kid he is. Uh, I think he's another guy who who didn't who, who didn't have the timing right in terms of how he was leaving. Didn't have the stats to to really suggest that he was going to be a game wrecker of of any kind. Uh, so, but I think he's the type of guy, a big, strong, naturally 320 pound athlete who is adept at, at kind of anchoring and, and, uh, and defending the run. I think he's going to play a role, even if it's a limited one, I think there's always going to be room on somebody's roster for a guy like him. So I like his chances there, you know, Mitchell Tinsley, I think he's a pure wide receiver in terms of being a technician. Uh, but I thought we saw last year, you just didn't see, ever really see a lot of separation and any kind of special athletic gifts there. I think he's a guy who can uh, make a practice squad and uh, maybe someday climb the rungs and get there. Jonathan Sutherland got uh, got picked up along the way. I mean, I, I think this is a pretty decent group of, of undrafted free agents. Uh, but P.J. Mustafer is really one I think I would circle and say, you know, he lands in Denver. 320 pound athletic guys don't grow on trees. So I think he, there, there's a chance that he, he makes something of his time in Denver. You know, you see Kevin Givens playing a big role for the 49ers. Now I would have never bet on that either. I think PJ Mustafer can, can be a nice little surprise for Denver. All right, let's shift gears here, Dustin. Uh, this is the national story getting a lot of play. And I think rightfully so, because it has several elements to it. And that's Deion Sanders getting the coaching job at Colorado. And a lot of people have taken both sides of what's going on in Colorado. Just first of all, your overview, what you see with, there's approximately 100 guys leaving Colorado and approximately 100 guys coming in. Well, I mean, we haven't seen the hundred guys come in yet, right? Like, I, I know there have been some some portal commitments, and uh, Deion Sanders has promised a lot more of them, but it just seems like uh, you know you're looking at what can happen in time for 2023, and it's like, how are they going to field a roster that can endure any kind of injury or, or anything um, in year one under Dion? Uh, but ultimately, I mean, my my first thought is like number one. Deion Sanders isn't really doing anything small uh, in his coaching career. If he wants to retool a roster, he's doing this. He's not, you know, hoping to develop guys and, and take some of these guys from the one and 11 team and, and grind out, maybe get a little bit more out of them next year. 
he is trying to burn the thing to the ground because it's not really worth saving. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of these players who are hitting the portal are, are, you know, power five guys for the, their next location. So I think he's taking that and saying, okay, if, if they're not on my radar now, uh, we'll kick them to the curb. We'll, we'll fill their spot. But it's like, how many guys are really coming in before the start of the 23 season to replace them? I think they're going to have a, a short roster. Uh, and I think it's going to be maybe next off season where they're able to get more done. I'll, I'll see, I'll see if I'm wrong about this in the, in the long run, but it just seems like he's definitely willing to sacrifice year one to, to really start new. And maybe it doesn't hurt him if they go zero and 12 or something and really set the bar low. And maybe that's the case, but I just don't see Dion being the kind of guy who will maybe after it happens, he'll say that was the plan, <laughs> but I don't see him, you know, going into this season feeling that way. And one of the things that I was not aware of until very recently, Dusty, is we all know that we've talked about this idea of processing was the term being used. A coach would pressure players to leave. Look, son, you're not going to get on the field here. Why don't you transfer to Podunk U where you have a chance of playing? Because it ain't going to happen here. But the fact is, the rule now is a new coach like Deion Sanders, he's allowed to cut players. Now, they can still say if the player wants to stay enrolled in Colorado, the athletic department is responsible for his academic scholarship, but he does not count against the 85-man scholarship. Now, I don't like that rule. I think it's a bit bogus because these kids want to play football. If you're in a Power 5 conference, you're in the Pac-12, you think you can play and at least play somewhere. So I will venture to bet very few guys are going to take them up on that. So he's got the ability... And he's using that to just say, hey, Dustin, sorry, you're you're gone. You're off the team. You're being cut. What do you think, first of all, of that rule? I think it's one of those things. A, a lot of times you establish a rule and you can't foresee what the loopholes are. You can't foresee how it, exactly it's going to play out in real time. So. All right, so a, a first-year coach has the leeway to craft a team how he wants to craft it. I don't think the NCAA really took into account somebody who was want, wanting to do something like this and would actually follow through on it. Uh, that, that, that's what I would think. Um, now, I think I, I've seen some people really shout about the morality of it or whatever, but it's like, look, I mean, that guy's he's following the rules. I, you might not love how, how he presents it to the, to, to the guys on, on the team, but he also came in and minute one of being Colorado's head coach said exactly what he was going to do. So there's no, the only surprise is just the, the numbers, you know, how, how it's unfolding now with, with the numbers. But, um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I th the NCAA clearly probably understood what a first year coach is going to want to do. But again, I mean, could you really? Could those guys really envision um, a coach coming in and getting rid of forty or fifty players in one off season? Not just one off season, but about three months, four months of the of the off season. So I think he's playing by the rules, but it's one of those things like, 
The answer, well, I didn't maybe see this coming. Well, here, and I'm going to end up arguing both sides of this coin, Dusty, so because I don't know which side I'm on. Right. So if he had done this to five or ten players, was that fine morality-wise? <laughs> right. But right. because he did it to 50, then it's an issue. And I think the other part to it is if you've been reading the articles and a lot of reporters are talking to those players who've been there a while who say they were not even given a chance. Dion hasn't even spoken to them all, all spring. He was just waiting to make it official that they're out the door. So, you know, where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a bummer if you're a player um, who thought you had something to offer and you went through the winter strength training and you went through spring practice and you really left it all out there and uh, and and there wasn't even a moment to consider whether you offered enough value to keep around. Because I think some of those guys, like, again, I mean, is Deion Sanders really going to get 60 scholarship players? Uh, because last I saw, the, the, it was – you know, somewhere in the teens, I think, where the number of scholarship players left at Colorado. Is he getting enough players coming through those doors uh, between now and the start of the season to to justify that? That's what I really want to watch closely. But I, I think having having a warm body in some of those spots probably means more probably is more than uh, nothing. Right. But I think he would rather just shake it to its core now and realize this is a one in 11 team that didn't do a whole lot of things. Well, last year, they're not going to do a whole lot of things. Well, next year, no matter how hard we coach them, I think you'd rather just kind of move on with it and, and get started on talent acquisition because talent acquisition probably is what Dion does the best. And you're going to see that in Colorado, both through the portal and through recruiting going forward. We'll continue this conversation in quarter number four, but just to give you a heads up, I'm looking at one list that says they have 34 transfers coming in, and they also have uh, incoming freshmen, another 20, or actually 19. So between the incoming freshmen and transfer portal, that's a total of 50-some new players that they're bringing in, which is still well short of 85. I guess there are still some some leftovers. We'll continue this conversation, though, when we return in quarter number four. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. 
lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. And Dustin, when we finished up quarter three, we were talking about Deion Sanders in Colorado, like everybody else in the college football world. A lot of interesting things. And between segments, we were talking a little bit about this, that um, yes, he's brought in 30-some players from the, the portal. And I think over the weekend, he just picked up a cornerback from Alabama. And bringing in anyone from Alabama means that they were probably at least highly regarded coming out of high school. But you were saying he talked about bringing in all Louis Vuitton uh, high-end luggage. Not all of these transfer portal guys are uh, high-end, are they? Yeah, I, I see some some Samsonite in there. I see some whatever whatever off brand uh, luggage we're talking about. You know, there there are some guys, but there are you know quite a few who are former SEC guys. You know, players who were formerly four star recruits who never really got uh, on the field at their schools, and that's you know the Alabama player fits that description too. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there 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 are some some salvage proje- projects for sure coming in. There's also you know his son to play quarterback, uh, and there's the uh, the, kid, the former five star Travis Hunter who who came over who's expected to play both sides of the ball, and there's going to be some flash there. You know they they signed in the in the two in the 2023 class, Cormani McLean from Lakeland, Florida, who is uh, the number 13 player in the nation. Dion has that magnetism about him. And I think, you know, what you're seeing from these transfers, I think he he likes these players because he chose them. You know, he cho- he's choosing these guys to, to bring them in. Uh, I think he feels that they're an immediate talent upgrade. They're, they are going to be light on numbers unless there's another, you know, 15, 20 guys coming uh, later. But uh, I think he's willing to deal with that. And I think he kind of knows and understands and accepts that, uh, whenever he gets a chance to actually recruit, and he, what he's offering players now versus what he was offering at at uh, you know his previous school is, uh, you know, a Pac-12 opportunity, a Power Five opportunity, you know, and a, a chance to come in and join, you know, some, you know, a couple of the hot mo- best, you know, talents in in the country, uh, in 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 some cases with Hunter and McLean, uh, they have a high opinion of his of his son playing quarterback uh, for Colorado. You know, I think there's there's a nice sales job there for him uh, that I think he's he's confident that he can translate into like a top 10, top 15 type class on a regular basis. And I think he showed that. I mean, he was getting elite talent. He was flipping the script and he was he was changing things. What, what people thought for HBCUs uh, that, uh, you know, th- that really kind of gave hope to other, you know, historically black universities. And that's where. You know, when he left for Colorado, it was like, okay, you're just like everybody else. Like nobody can fault you for taking the opportunity, but don't 
advertise yourself as like some great savior for these types of schools and then just bolt like any other coach would do. But I think you're going to see some high end talent coming there and it's going to be fascinating to, to follow. And that's one thing that you cannot deny uh, Deion Sanders is that wherever he goes, eyeballs will follow and where, where eyeballs follow top talent wants to go. Well, here's the uh, fly in the ointment. As far as I could see though, uh, dusty at Jackson state, he can bring in a couple of those high end guys and a couple of people who would just rather play for Deion Sanders than somebody else in that conference. The problem is now he's competing against Lincoln Riley. Yeah, he got his son, who happens to be a pretty good quarterback, and he had a, a recruiting advantage with him. Other than his own son, is he going to have a recruiting advantage over Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly and a Utah program and an Oregon program and a Washington program? I'm not sure he can be that difference maker or enough of a difference maker to win in that conference. And I think he's going to struggle. And I think he's, as you pointed out, you know, these are not all high end players he's bringing in in the transfer portal. I think he's going to struggle. I think this has bust potential here. And, you know, it kind of also leads to just this whole conversation with the transfer portal nationally. The guy I've brought up in previous shows was Mel Tucker, two seasons ago, used the transfer portal like nobody else, won, what, nine, ten games at Michigan State, parlayed that into a new wonderful contract, and then fell flat this past year. I'm not sure they're going to do much better this season and we just saw over the weekend he lost his veteran quarterback Peyton Thorne to the portal, his best returning receiver to the portal. I'm thinking, you know, this, uh, I don't want to call it fool's gold, the transfer portal, but it's something you need to pick and choose, which by the way, if you look at professional sports and you talk free agency, that's not the way to build a team, but it's the way to finish a team. Yeah, and I think that's exactly, I mean, free agency is exactly what it is in, in college football. And I think in a perfect world, you would use that. And I think Penn State is a good example of that, using the portal to finish uh, its building efforts. You know, it's not a perfect substitution for your inability to solve roster problems along the way. I mean, the ro- your, your roster as a coach is like a Rubik's Cube that's always changing, and your forecasts over two, three, four years are always changing based on what's going on with the player, how that player is growing, if that player is ahead of schedule, behind schedule, all that. Um, and I think, you know, Dion is going to bring in a bunch of former Power Five talent, but I think we've seen that just because you had a power five scholarship and just because you were a four-star recruit back in the day that you're immediately going to get right back on track with, with new surroundings. Uh, You're going to see some of those guys fall flat. I think that's what Mel Tucker experienced was an abnormal success rate in year one from the transfer portal, which he needed to go that route. I, I I don't uh, you know, I, I don't have anything against in year one, uh, getting better in players the best you can and feeling the most competitive roster you can. But I, I think using it as a crutch uh, sometimes is where you run into trouble. You know, in the end, I think James Franklin's point of view on it is pretty much spot on that you still build 
through traditional means, through all the relationships you build and, and evaluate talent and develop guys and, and all that. Uh, I also think it says something that, you know, Penn State hasn't really had a good player leave with no real good reason why. Like Peyton Thorne leaves Michigan State, but why? Why? You know, when have you seen Penn State lose a guy? Like they've lost a couple quarterbacks to the portal where you're like, okay, well, you know, if they're not going to be starters, then I get it. That's just part of the game. But they've never really had a good contributor leave and, and you know, like sort of strike a blow against the program. So I think um, maybe Dion transitions out of this and it's not portal, portal, portal all the time, but it's going to have to be that way for, I think, at least another year. Right. Like uh, there's no way for him to keep uh, to get his scholarship numbers up and and build a a quality team without going back to the portal again next recruiting cycle. Now, I'm not going to claim that I know Colorado's team very well, but I did read that they were a very, very young team. Okay, so them getting beaten badly doesn't necessarily translate to the fact that there was zero talent on the roster. And I think that's what rubs people the wrong way a bit is those guys didn't get any kind of chance. So Dion is, but he's trying to start with a clean slate. It leads though to this question, and we just kind of nudged up against it in quarter number three, Dusty, is the transfer portal always looked like it was moving the pendulum the way of the players, giving them more power, more leverage. It was total and complete free agency for them. Now, when it swings the other way, I'm reading a lot of people thinking, you know what? Hey, this is fair. What's good for the goose, good for the gander. If a player could quit on any team, why can't it go the other way with the coaches saying, you know what, kid? You're not cutting it. You're out of here. Is that wrong? Uh, I don't think it's wrong. I mean, I think if you're if you're ushering in an era where this is like a professional sports situation, uh, then you've got to you've got to live with the downside of it, too. And I think players wanted more freedom to move. They wanted more freedom to kind of reverse bad decisions, more freedom to change their environment for whatever reason they might need. And they've gotten all that. And I think for the most part, the rules are written, you know, the new rules are written in a way that uh, allows players to catch up to where coaches have always been. So I don't think it's like coaches deserved, you know, the ability to do, to do this because players got freedom. The coaches have always had a lot more freedom than players have, but now it's like, it's be careful what you wish for, because I think you also have, you know, the portal is such an available option that I think those conversations between player and coach have probably taken a, a turn toward more business-like than ever. They've taken a turn from like being tactful about it, being like, well, there probably isn't an opportunity for you next year to like, I'd really like for you to leave. It's for, it's for both of us uh, because you know that the, the portal is there for both of you afterwards. So, but yeah, I think, it's just kind of one of the, it's one of the drawbacks I, I would say to this player movement is now coaches, first year coaches uh, in particular, and there's going to be first, a lot more first year coaches all the time because of all the movement going on uh, that, you know, you're not guaranteed anything anymore. You have the ability to leave, but now you might be, have to, you might have to leave before you're ready. And if first year coaches are allowed to do this, do you think it'll be long before 
other coaches who say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not fair. You give a first-year coach that ability. To be fair, shouldn't I be allowed that? Last question for you, Dusty. And one of our listeners sent me this, and I'll ask it of you. Will Deion Sanders start a third season coaching Colorado, yes or no? Uh, I think yes, because the build is going to be so steep that he's going to be given leeway there. Now, over over two years, you know, he's going to be... Uh, he's going to bring some sensational attention to the program. So your successes will be celebrated. Your sex successes will be nationally known, but all your failures will also be nationally known. It's going to ramp up the amount of pressure. I think that's there, but I think the commitment that was made to Dion clearly as, as the administration supports us and they're footing the bill for some of these guys who aren't going to be playing football anymore. Uh, I think there's a commitment that that's going to run deeper than two years. I, you know, obviously all bets are off, but I think he's going to be there year three. I don't. I think I think it's going to blow up somehow, some way. It's going to blow up, and it's 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 going to be one of those. It's going to be a train wreck. You won't be able to divert your eyes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to need to see it. All right, that is it for our show. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.